It's estimated that there are 25 to 50 active serial killers in the United States at this very moment. And I want you to think about that lone stranger who you passed by in the grocery store the other day, or that neighbor you waved good morning to. What about the person standing in front of you in line grabbing a coffee? Could one of them be a serial killer yet to be caught? How would you know if you were staring into the face of evil? The fact is, most of us wouldn't have a clue. And chances are, you unknowingly walked past a serial killer at some point in your life and had no idea. For residents of Long Island, the odds of unknowingly passing by a serial killer have been much higher in recent years, as there's been a monster living among them. He's known as the Long Island Serial Killer. Residents have lived in fear. In their minds, they knew this murderer could be anyone. Since the first bodies were discovered in 2010, the investigation came in waves, but eventually seemed to go cold as whoever this killer was went inactive. Where did this twisted monster go? Was he still out there? Profilers studied the case files up and down and concluded that this serial killer was likely a white male, middle aged educated, financially stable, and possibly married, and they were right. This past week, a suspect in the killings has been brought into custody. His name is Rex Hewerman, a 59-year-old architect who lived in Massapequa Park on Long Island. This monster was living under investigators' noses the entire time. He was a local businessman, a suburban dad. He's married and a father of two. This infamous series of unsolved murders has haunted Long Island for over a decade and will go down as one of the most prolific searches for a serial killer in recent history. But how did all of this happen? I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. Today's episode is a breaking case that's really unfolding as we speak, and there's a lot to it. And if you want to watch all Avery After Dark podcast episodes now, and you're in the mood to sit down with me every week, make sure you subscribe to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel. Every single episode airs here on YouTube, so every week you can get your dose of mystery, spookiness, and everything in between. For all of you watching on YouTube, turn on the notification bell so you never miss out on an episode, leave a comment and a like, and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Every single thing means the world to me. You all really make my day with your kind words and support, sharing the podcast with your friends and family, so thank you. Like I said, today's episode is a breaking case out of Long Island, New York. As some of you may know, I lived in New York City a few years ago, so this one is particularly haunting. Last week, a suspect was apprehended in the infamous Long Island serial killer case. This is really one of those cases that spanned over a decade, and many wondered if there would ever be justice for the victims and their families. And with a killer still on the loose, everyone in the community wondered, are we in danger? Is this killer still alive? This case has honestly been all over the place. There's a lot to it. To understand it all, let's go back to the beginning. It all really started with a phone call. On May 1st, 2010, a 24-year-old woman named Shannon Gilbert went missing. Shannon was from Jersey City and worked as an escort. 911 operators received a startling call from Shannon while she was in the midst of fleeing from a client's home. Shannon had met a client, a man by the name of Joseph Brewer, at his home in Oak Beach, a small residential community near Gilgo Beach. But something had gone very wrong. This 911 call is haunting. 
Shannon tells the operator that somebody was after her and trying to kill her. The operator asks her numerous times where she is, but Shannon stated she didn't know and was asking for help, asking if the operator could trace the call. And this call lasted about 22 minutes. And Shannon's dialogue was unorganized, operator stating at some points she was coherent and at others she would slur her words, and other times she wouldn't respond at all. At other points, she was heard screaming. In the background of the call, you can hear two sets of voices, her driver, Michael Pack, and her client, Joseph Brewer. Brewer can be heard telling her to leave his home. The 911 call continues for another 22 minutes. Gilbert is frequently heard saying, please stop. She seems really confused. Eventually, Shannon runs out of the house into the home of a neighbor, a man named Gus Coletti, all the while remaining on the line with 911 operators. The neighbor heard her outside yelling, help me, and opened his door. On the call, he can be heard asking Shannon if she's okay, but all she kept saying is help me and wouldn't answer any of his questions. Then Shannon takes off running again, and shortly after this, the call ends. After, investigators began months of searching for Shannon, and her disappearance triggered a police investigation that exposed a much larger mystery. In December 2010, while police were looking for Shannon, the remains of the first four other women were found along a stretch of highway on the south coast of Long Island. All of the women were found in burlap sacks and all of the bodies discovered within a quarter mile of each other. Most of them advertised in Craigslist as escorts and sex workers, and all had vanished in years prior. The women were ID'd as 25-year-old Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was last seen in July 2007, 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew, who went missing in July 2009. In the weeks following her disappearance, her 15-year-old sister was terrorized by a series of frightening phone calls made by a man calling from Melissa's cell phone. 22-year-old Megan Waterman, who went missing in June 2010, and 27-year-old Amber Costello, who went missing in September 2010 after she left her home on Long Island to meet a client. After this gruesome discovery, these women became known as the Gilgo Beach Four. There were striking similarities among the Gilgo Four, very petite, five foot or under, 100 pounds, hazel green eyes. Detectives believe the killer may have combed online ads to target this specific type of woman. And this began a nightmare in the community. Was there a serial killer on the loose? The community's fears were confirmed when between March and April 2011, police found six additional sets of remains, four women, a toddler, and an adult male. After this, police theorized that these murders were all carried out by the same killer and publicly stated that they believed this was the work of a serial killer. And this individual was still on the loose. This killer was referred to by many different names, including the Long Island Serial Killer, the Gilgo Beach Killer, and the Craigslist Ripper. This sadistic individual would dump his victims in the same place every time and always singled out petite sex workers. In December 2011, more than 18 months after she disappeared, several of Shannon's belongings, including her purse, shoes, and cell phone, were found in the marsh eight miles from Gilgo Beach. A week later, Shannon's skeletal remains were found about a quarter mile from her belongings. Investigators back then said they didn't think that Shannon was murdered, 
Instead, based on her 911 call, they theorized she might have been high on drugs and ran into the marsh, where she died of hypothermia or possible drowning. This has been debated, though. Investigators also spoke about the private autopsy done by the Gilbert family. Although their pathologists believe the findings were consistent with homicide, the SCPD and the FBI Behavioral Unit believe it was a tragic accident, but were open to any new information. But her case led police straight to the remains of the killer's numerous victims. So the FBI is on the case, and profilers begin coming up with a profile of this killer and believed whoever this individual was. They were most likely a white male, likely educated, and financially secure. Research shows that most serial killers arrested are those with homes and families, most of which are also normal members of their neighborhood communities, which is terrifying. As time passed, Long Island residents awaited news of an arrest, and they waited, and they waited, but there was nothing for years. And over time, there were a few different theories of who this killer could be. Firstly, many thought that this person could have close ties with law enforcement, which could explain why he has evaded capture. Perhaps a prominent local businessman that's well-connected. For a period of time, although investigators were adamant that this was the work of one killer, some other internet sleuths local to Long Island believe that this was the work of two killers working together. Another theory was maybe whoever is responsible is behind bars for another crime or possibly the killer had died. And this could be why things had, as they say, gone quiet for so long. This could be why there hadn't been any recent findings since the multiple bodies discovered in March 2011. So if the killer is still alive, why did he stop? But the most chilling theory that most believe was true was that the killer was still out there, living amongst the community, successfully remaining undetected. And many felt that he wasn't finished yet. Maybe he would strike again. Studies show that once a serial killer has their first kill, their desire to murder will not stop. Or perhaps he was still killing. He possibly could have just changed his MO, switched dumping grounds for his victims. This left many residents on edge, especially the victims' families who were left with no answers. They had no idea what had happened to their loved ones. The investigation came in spurts. It was strange and maddening. One minute there would be headlines and hopes there would be developments in the case. But year after year passed with little movement in the case. The longer people waited for answers, the colder the case seemed to get. The big question was, what was taking so long to apprehend a suspect? Well, for one, serial killers are often hiding in plain sight. Because many serial murders can blend in so well, they're oftentimes overlooked by law enforcement and the public. Serial killers can be some of the most dangerous and hard to catch criminals that any law enforcement officer can come up against. Due to the serious nature of their crimes, many are meticulous planners organized killers. But many also wondered, was the problem stemming from those in charge? Was this case even remotely a priority for police? Was anyone really trying to connect the dots here? Well, allegations of corruption in the Suffolk County Police Department have been rampant for years. 
with a particular emphasis on the then-scandal-ridden chief of police, James Burke. At one point, Burke actually kicked the FBI off the investigation into the murders. But why would he do that? Well, the once very popular chief of Suffolk County Police turned out to be corrupt himself. James Burke was later sentenced to 46 months in federal prison for conspiracy and assault. But while he was in power, James Burke ran the place like he owned it. I heard one reporter claim he ran it like a little king. Meaning, he did what he wanted, when he wanted, and got away with it. This included frequenting sex workers and a number of illegal activities. So why would he kick the FBI off the case? Because once the FBI got onto the case, they were sniffing around a little too close to home for old James Burke. And he didn't want them finding the skeletons in his closet. He was trying to cover up scandals of his own. So he said, you gotta go. It should be said, many detectives and authorities in the Suffolk County Police Department wanted this case solved and tried to fight to catch this killer and get justice for the victims and their families. But with a corrupt chief of police running the department, dictating what his officers could investigate, this case really went nowhere. James Burke was a roadblock for years. Putting his own interests and misdeeds in front of the victims, their families, and the safety of his community, a place he swore to protect. But finally, a change came. The old administration was out, and with a new team in in 2022, this case got shifted into a new gear. Investigators started a task force with a renewed effort to investigate the murders and track down the serial killer. They were going to catch him. Only two months into this new task force hitting the ground, they made a discovery. On March 14th, a witness of the disappearance of Amber Costello came forward with a major tip. She identified a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche as a car that the killer may have been driving. So, detectives go back to their database and see if a black Chevrolet Avalanche was registered to any local Massapequa men at the time of Amber's murder. And they begin surveilling a suspect. Investigators knew whoever the killer was, they were very familiar with Long Island. Profilers studied this killer, and they believed this individual was a white male, possibly married, and he was. A serial killer was living right under investigators' noses for decades. He was a family man, married, living in a well-to-do area of Massapequa, New York, involved with the community, their suspect was ID'd as Rex Hewerman. Rex Hewerman was born in 1964 and grew up in Massapequa Park, which is on Long Island in New York. His father was an aerospace engineer, and in 1981, Rex graduated from Burner High School in Massapequa. But while there, acquired a nickname. They called him Herman Munster, as he was large in stature. In 1990, he married an office supply company executive. Rex has two children. In 1994, Rex started his own Manhattan architecture firm and has worked as an architect. He belonged to a New York City-based networking group known as the Dream Team. He referred to himself as a troubleshooter, specializing in helping clients navigate New York City codes and negotiating with the buildings department. In a recent networking meeting with some colleagues, the topic of true crime podcasts came up, and Rex began asking if they had heard of the Gilgo Beach killer. To the professional world, 
he had one mask. One colleague said that she knew Rex as a friend and claimed she was shocked and didn't see this coming. In Rex's private life, he wore a completely different mask. Rex Heuerman was living a double life. To the public, he was a suburban dad with a job. In private, he was an evil, dangerous monster, capable of unthinkable things. Although he was an architect, neighbors described his house as a dump with overgrown bushes and shrubs. It was unkept and an eyesore. And his house stuck out like a sore thumb to residents and neighbors, as most of the homes in this area have perfectly manicured lawns, well-kept homes. Folks said the house always seemed a bit creepy. When speaking with neighbors, they said that Rex wasn't friendly or well-liked. He was described as arrogant, cold, and creepy. He was even once kicked out of a Whole Foods grocery store for taking fruit that was put out for children and eating it himself. He reportedly got into it with store employees, and those who lived nearby Rex's home said that he didn't seem approachable. And this is a strange one. He would menace his neighbors by chopping wood with an axe in his front yard. Even more chilling, some parents in the neighborhood warned their children not to go near Rex's house. One neighbor even said that he and some of the other neighbors joked that Rex had to be a serial killer. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Police began surveilling Rex and used over 300 subpoenas, search warrants, and other legal tools to obtain evidence. And there were many things that struck police immediately. For one, Rex was local to the area. He lived in Massapequa Park and had lived in the area his whole life. All of the victims were believed to have disappeared from this area. Detectives always felt that whoever this serial killer was, he was very familiar with Long Island, specifically that area. Police also found evidence that Rex had a long history of purchasing and using burner phones to contact the victims. Maureen Barnes was contacted using a burner cell phone on July 6, 2007, and the last known location of her phone was in Midtown Manhattan, and police find that Rex worked in Midtown Manhattan. Melissa Bartholomew disappeared on July 10, 2009. She was contacted that day by a burner cell phone, which traveled from Massapequa Park to Midtown Manhattan. So where Rex lived to the area where he worked. Later that day, Melissa's cell phone traveled from Midtown Manhattan to Massapequa Park, creating a trail of evidence. In July and August, a few times, Melissa's phone was used to make taunting, sick, sadistic phone calls to her sister. During these, the caller admitted to being the killer. And Melissa's phone was in Midtown Manhattan, really close to where Rex's offices were. Megan Waterman Chu was contacted by a burner cell phone on June 5th, 2010. She disappeared the next day, and the last known location of her cell phone was Massapequa Park close to where Rex lived. Amber Costello was also contacted by a burner phone on September 1st, 2010. This phone connected to cell towers in West Amneville and Massapequa Park. But Amber's story was a bit different. Late on September 1st or September 2nd, a male client showed up at Amber's residence and Amber pulled a scheme on this client by having someone pretend to be an outraged boyfriend and chase the client off and then she would keep the client's money. This male client was described as looking like an ogre 
with dark bushy hair and wearing 1970s style glasses. In what kind of car did this individual drive? A Chevrolet Avalanche. The burner cell phone that was used to contact Amber initially was used to send a text message to her after the scheme. Amber told an acquaintance that this ogre-looking man wanted to see her again, but didn't want to come back to her house because of the boyfriend. Later, Amber was seen walking out of her residence towards the street, the same time as a witness saw a dark-colored truck drive by. And this was the last time Amber was ever seen alive. Despite allegedly being seen, Rex made no attempt to get rid of the truck, which was still registered to him in 2022, over a decade later. Not only did he keep the truck, it was in plain sight for the world to see. Rex had his Chevrolet Avalanche parked right in front of his house and in his driveway. It was even visible to online street mapping sites. And it was really once they connected Rex to this vehicle that the investigation got legs. Investigators found that Rex also had a Tinder profile which he posted photos, selfies of himself, and this profile was linked to the burner phones. So all of these calls, texts, were creating a web. Rex Hewerman used seven burner phones and numerous junk emails to stalk his victims and their families. He even used these phones to repeatedly look up the families of his victims. But Rex was creating a web that would lead investigators right back to their killer. Rex would toss these burner phones shortly after the murders, but was unable to erase his digital footprint. Rex Hurman also used email accounts that were connected to these burner phones, and police even obtained surveillance footage of Rex at a cell phone store in Midtown Manhattan, purchasing additional minutes for one of the phones. Investigators also discovered that Rex would commit these murders when his wife was out of town. Rex's wife was in Iceland when Melissa was murdered. She was in Maryland when Megan was murdered. And she was in New Jersey when Amber was killed. Police found that Rex used an email account to make numerous searches on the internet. And his searches were sick, we'll just say that. Evil and sadistic. A major part of Rex's secret life was his time spent seeking out sex workers. Rex also made countless searches and was very interested in serial killers, specifically the Gilgo Beach Killer and the Long Island Serial Killer. He even searched, why hasn't the Long Island Serial Killer been caught? And why can law enforcement not trace calls made by the Long Island Serial Killer? Rex also searched other unsolved serial killer cases creepy. In regards to DNA evidence, there is quite a bit. Hair found on three of the victims was matched to Rex's wife. Police have not suggested they believe she was involved. As I said, she was out of town during the murders. But investigators believe Rex transferred his wife's hair to his victims. And Rex's DNA matched a male hair found on Megan Waterman. But eventually, authorities say that Rex got sloppy, quite literally. He threw out some trash, an old pizza, and it gave investigators the DNA match they needed, directly tying him straight to the murders. And with all of this, police had to make the decision to either act quickly or stay on surveillance and continue gaining as much evidence as they possibly could, because they believed that Rex was still seeking out sex workers. And they knew that Rex could strike again at any moment. Whoever was in his orbit was in danger. Ultimately, they made the decision to take him down. 
On July 13, 2023, police arrested 59-year-old Rex Hewerman in Midtown Manhattan. He is charged with three counts of first-degree murder for the killings of Melissa Bartholomew in 2009 and Megan Waterman and Amber Costello the following year, according to the Suffolk County District Attorney. And police said that Rex is the prime suspect in the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and they expect this case to be resolved soon. Police say his wife and family are disgusted and embarrassed by him. Rex pleaded not guilty and was ordered to be held without bail. He's facing multiple terms of life in prison without the possibility of parole if convicted. Rex's attorney said that the case against his client is extremely circumstantial. And in court, Rex was in tears and said, I didn't do this. There are no eyewitnesses to the murders, nor video. And the defense will try to point out that the work of these women was hazardous. They had contact with many potentially dangerous individuals. So, sure, Rex could have used their services, but someone else could have killed them. The state, on the other hand, believes the evidence against Rex is frankly overwhelming, and investigators have referred to him as a demon who was walking among us. This arrest has given a lot of closure to the victims' families who have waited for years and years. Long overdue justice, a day that many said they thought would never come. In the meantime, investigators have been combing through Rex Hewerman's home, seeing what, if anything else, this monster was hiding. His DNA has also been plugged into the national database, cross-referencing it with any other unsolved murders. But in the end, it really took this new, determined task force and their wholehearted diligence to finally take down this monster. And as always, I would love to know your thoughts on this case. We're watching it all unfold before our very eyes. Leave them in the comments here on YouTube, on TikTok, Instagram. I'd be really interested to know if you had been following the story and what you think of it all. Many of you are asking for more paranormal stories, so I'm excited next week we will have a very spooky supernatural episode. So mark your calendars. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.